Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. So we are going to be hearing from quite a few voices this morning from the inside, sharing thoughts, ideas, perspectives, and the truth of what's taking place within prisons, prison life. So... Uh, stay with us for this next hour. We are going to hear first from Andre Tinnen. He is uh, a prisoner in a Wisconsin plantation. Uh, we had actually had him on the show in January, but he was talking to us about uh, his unjust um, uh, incarceration in solitary confinement. And he has now an update with some good news about uh, what has taken place since then. Again, you are listening to Prison Focus Radio, and here we go. Hold on. Okay, I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself, and um, and then tell us what's going on with your case. Uh, so my name is uh, Andre Tennant. I'm housed in uh, Wisconsin Secure Program. So I got an overturn conviction uh, on a first-degree intentional homicide case and a drug case, and I had a high-profile case, and... Uh, I did the litigation myself, and after that, I got uh, a lawyer, and I got the Innocent Project out of Wisconsin, where uh, they fight for my innocence. And the innocence is where, uh, in the case, when they found the so-called murder weapon, my fingerprints wasn't on a gun. So this is this is how we, we claim my name after 13 years of my incarceration. That's fantastic. Now, you had also spent um, quite a bit of time in solitary confinement. Um, uh, first of all, why? But also, did it have something to do with you trying to um, to claim your innocence? Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it did. So, I was, I'm going to be real brief with it. So, we got 15 minutes. So, um, I spent 12 years in SIG, and I've been in population going on five months now. You know, I've been, you know, good behavior, doing the right thing, staying out of trouble, and I appreciate the good advice that you gave me. So that was advice you gave me, staying out of trouble after 12 years, I did say it. So uh, I basically was uh, scrutinized by the feds <clears throat> because I didn't want to confess to uh, other murder cases. You know what I'm saying? So when you play back the other, you know, uh, interviews that I did, was uh, January 13 and 22. I speak more about it in detail. So I spent uh, 12 years in SIG because uh, they tried to get me for gang affiliation as being a leader of the gang's disciples. And like I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm like way past what I used to do a long time ago. I'm more about motivating people, keeping people out of trouble, and helping people get out of prison with, with litigation the right way. So the 12 years I spent in SIG, I also wrote a book called Solitary and Solidarity, which I promoted on the first interview, January 13 to 22, at Prison Focus Radio. And I appreciate it. So I was, I was in SIG and I was going through a whirlwind because I didn't want to confess to multiple homicides in my case, drug-related homicides. And the feds got mad. And they just turned up the heat with, with, with bogus lies that they made on me. Where, oh, if you don't want to confess to these other crimes, whatever your uncle told us, we're going to tie this into a false 
false statement that you made. But this is where the evidence come in at. I wasn't actually trying to stay in SAIC. When you're trying to stay in SAIC, you just stay there. You don't go to GP and remain there for five months. So this is the hard work that paid off with the two interviews that we did last time because it was more inspiration and encouraging. And I'm doing that to other brothers, teaching them or showing them the ways to stay away from from the daily, you know, uh, uh, sins of in the street, in the drug game, or in, 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 in being incarcerated. Nothing about this is positive. I just told another brother that today when he got mad at a correction officer. None of this is positive. If I can help you stay out of trouble and lead you and guide you to the right path, that's what I'm doing. 42 years old, I'm, I'm focusing on living my life. I got you in a minute. I'm focused on living my life and doing things in the correct way. So all this time I did and said, this was in my mind a long time ago. I said, if I get out of SAG, I'm gonna fight my case and I'm gonna do it the way that I need to do with proper litigation. And also too, with good people beside me on, on the outside, you, Bayview, the, the whole Bayview newspaper, and then the people that I had in my corner. So that's how I made it out of SAG. All the while, while I was in SAG, I was, I was putting together a plan, like a blueprint. What would be the aftermath would I step up out of say Would I relate, relate providers? Would I be bitter? I said, no, I wouldn't do that. The only thing I, I could relate to is filing the certain documentation that I need to file, which was a federal habeas corpus, and getting the right lawyer and the innocent project involved so I can get back to society and save somebody else that's on the road of going to prison, knowing that they don't need to be in prison. Here I asked Andre what it meant to him to continue to refuse to uh, uh, admit to crimes that he didn't commit, all while uh, suffering solitary confinement, what they call ADSEG or segregation in, um, in Wisconsin. The best, the best way I learned how to, how to, how to like sum it all way up, so fate is something that, that actually kept my mind intact. You know, like they did back in slavery, so when they put when they put us under, you know, slaves under under the stage. All calls other than properly placed attorney calls may be monitored and recorded. It changed us up, right? I thought about something when I started going up in life, right? I started saying to myself, when they start singing songs and they start praying to God, right, this is what got them through the obstacles that they was going through. But I thought about this. I said, I grew up in a real life, you know, uh, uh, Christian type of family, right? But I did kind of, was looking into like Islam, like I was gonna convert, but I was still like in between the game like long time ago. But in my mind, I said to myself, I got to believe in something. I got to, some, somebody got to believe in something, some high powers somewhere. So all the time I just spent to see it, I started searching around in my mind. I said, it's something that I need to do. And I, and I related back to how the slaves was, they were slave ship. Mm. A lot of them made it out. Some of them died because of the the things they actually, they probably want to go through. So they just had to suffer through it. And I, so I'm going to sacrifice my life for somebody now that's, that's, that's in the bottom of the slave ship because I know this, right? And, and car, being incarcerated, this is how I see. I'm in the belly of the beast. In the belly of the beast, I'm in the bottom of the slave ship. So, what if 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 they say 
rehabilitation, rehabilitation ain't changing. The only person kind of like stepped in was the people that was that was encouraging you, Bayview, uh, 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 Black National newspaper, and then the people that was by my side. I didn't watch people fall short in prison by suicide. I never wanted to see anybody commit suicide, and I never thought about it. But I thought about the times I kept going back in my mind after 12 years. I just said to myself, I didn't grow up without a father. You know, I grew up in, 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 in poverty, and I grew up learning how to cope with reality, all right? So I said to myself, the best way I can just get, 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 get through all this stuff, I just got to put the old me aside, and I got to start looking towards the future. I know I'm locked up with life. I couldn't get past this. So the only thing I can tell a person, once you put the old you beside you, you can start focusing on something new. And the new thing was, when I told you I started reading uh, the Big View, uh, Black National newspaper, it started coming back to me like, man, I got caught up in society, in, in, in the street politics, I forgot about my own race. Not that mean, mean that I didn't care about it, I just lost all track of time. When you put somebody in the, in the, in the, from out the projects in the streets, I done went to a tough situation, to a, to a, to a, like a real, real tough situation. And then it, 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 it became being incarcerated in prison. So the best thing I can say is, if it's something that you, 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 you've been through and it's been real, like, a hor horrific situation, the only way to fight through it is is keeping your faith and keeping keeping yourself up in your mind mentally. Talk, be, be around good people. Talk to people that that talk what we talk, encourage and talk, inspiration to talk. So it was just my faith, though. But I could I could have been I could have been did something stupid to somebody else because I was angry. I thought about. All the books I'm reading, psychology books, you know, so I said to myself to be angry. I got to be angry at, at the lifestyle I lived. It wasn't a murder. It wasn't like no horrific crimes. It was just, I was stupid at one time, and I stepped off into to the street life. And all the while, I got caught up in a whirlwind. And then I'm being scrutinized in prison because of the stereo, stereotype. Oh, he's dangerous. He got the long hair. He got the brains. He's a black guy. You gotta watch out for him. I'm in prison, but they they still going on the other side of the street. And all the while, I'm being peaceful. But I gotta remember though the the, the label that we got on, on black folks like us. We already a threat. We was already targeted the day we was born. I was told that by my mother growing up, and I used to think about it like, why would they say that? Until I actually started seeing what the streets was all about. I said, damn, then I got here and then I actually was around there for a long period of time. Me and the white folks, and it ain't nothing bad. It was just... One minute remaining. I had, I had to put it, put it aside and just focus on reality, though. With only one minute left, I just let uh, Andre know how grateful I, I was to hear from him and his wonderful update that he just stayed focused, continued to assert his humanity um, in the face of just incredible brutality, um, and in also, you know, found his his faith, his spirituality to help keep him moving, and sharing with us how important it is to have outside support. Um, 
uh, again, just so uh, happy for Andre Tenen and um, the possibility of looking like his uh, case is going to be overturned and he is going to be able to start looking at uh, coming home. And um, again, that outside support is really, really important. And we'll be hearing about some of that in um, some of the other voices that are coming up. Yeah, I will. I will be calling next week to kind of like, you know, a couple more calls so we can get back to it. But I really appreciate you, New Vegas, being a real good friend of of being there and just putting the word out there. I really appreciate you for real. Honestly, I do. Well, of course, I hear it and appreciate you too, Andre. You continue to stay up and stay strong. All right, you too. All right, peace. All right, peace. All right, before we hear from Abdul Olubala Shakur, we are going to hear the song Message from a Black Man by The Temptations. Oh, 
course, if you want to hear the whole song, then you need to go get it. Message from a Black Man by The Temptations. Uh, you can get that on Spotify or wherever. So, all right, we are going to hear from Abdul Olubala Shakur of George Jackson University, author, uh, business owner, and uh, a new African revolutionary who has been uh, caged for over 40 years since he was 16 years old. Oh, I'd like to add that what you're about to hear is courtesy of George Jackson University Radio, which you can listen to every Wednesday at 5 p.m. at blogtalkradio.com slash George Jackson Radio, hosted by Bomani Shakur. Y'all are doing the work that you do, doing the training, and the studying that you do, and thank you for all the commitment that you do. And y'all respect the air. I'd like to welcome to the show tonight um, uh, our founder and our theoretician and elder, uh, Bobby Adu Lugabach here. John Bull Conrad, how you doing? All right, man. John Bull, boy, again. Yes, sir. And Zerva signing out. Wait, wait. What's going on, Conrad? How you feeling, man? How oh, you feeling? No. Well, can't stop, won't stop. You know that? Can't stop, won't stop. Yes, sir, man. I know the people quite, might be quite familiar with you by now. If they're not familiar with it, man, you know, you, you can get it familiar with you tonight, you know. But they're not familiar with you. Yeah, yeah. You feel me? Yes, sir. Yes, no sir, doubt. man, you know. Yes, sir. You know, so, we're uh, going to get us a couple of issues tonight, man, about the political prisoners. You got political prisoners. Uh, yeah. What if you have political prisoners? Resupport, GDU, political things of that nature, man. So you just going to take off there, brother. Okay. And, like, one of the things I try to explain to people, and I'm talking about even within the political prisoners' movement, the struggle don't stop at the prison gate. The prison does slave complex is an extension of fascism. So even when these different groups say that these individuals that came to prison for criminal reasons and became political while in prison, they're not political prisoners. That's crap. Because you go to any other country, maybe in Palestine, in, uh, uh, Ireland, all these different countries, right? When individuals join the struggle while in prison and they are prosecuted as a direct result of that, they are political prisoners. They're being prosecuted for their political activities. Those who join the armed struggle while in prison, they become POWs because they are being imprisoned within isolation, solitary climate for their direct armed action against fascism and racism. The prison does slave complex is not a separate entity from fascism and racism. In fact, it's magnified tenfold in here. So for brothers and sisters to stand up against that, maybe from a political standpoint or an armed standpoint, they become victims of that. So, and, I, and here goes the contradiction here. I don't know if you remember, back, I'd say about 15, 17 years ago, uh, Sister Sophia and one other comrades, elders, they started a newsletter called the New African Political Prisoners and POW Newsletter, right? Uh, uh yeah, it's like, and the thing I didn't like about it, even though I was there, you have to be elected by other political prisoners, right? And and all the new African political prisoners involved was either BLA or Panthers, you know, and you had to be elected by them. They they know your case, they study your history, why you came to prison for, and all that, right? And then they select you to be part of the, the mailing list, right? So we had a discussion. And, you know, Sister Sophia, that's, that's my sister. We had a discussion because they had excluded 
Rochelle McGee and Hugo Pinnell because they became political while in prison. But then I said, well, there's a contradiction because Angola Three became political while in prison. George Jackson, this first five, six years, he was a thug. The Wolfpack was not a revolutionary organization. They were thugs. But no one questioned his political status. No one questioned the Angola Three political status. So there's a contradiction, and that contradiction undermined the integrity of the movement itself. Because people ask, wait a minute, if, if George was a political prisoner, why they did not apply it to Rochelle McGee? He was active. Rochelle McGee was one of the brothers that developed the guerrilla law in the service of the people at the time while in prison, who was being victimized by the system. He filed all the documents on their behalf. He challenged the laws that imposed certain restrictions on them. He did that. He was on the front line. And he was victimized as a direct result. And that was even before the August 7th Marin County courthouse incident. He was being prosecuted in the service of the struggle. We are in Nobayogi, Hugo Pinnell. He was side by side with George. So there's these contradictions, because what it does is make it look like you have to have this label, this logo. It's like the Black Panther Party is like a, an elite logo. You don't have this logo, or you know, like product, you know, Louis Vuitton. You don't have this logo, you're not a political prison POW. And I've seen incidents where you have individuals who have, who've been out the struggle since the 70s, get arrested in the 80s, all of a sudden became political prisoners, but they've been out the movement for 10, 15 years. This undermined the integrity and legitimacy of, this, of the movement. You have to understand that the struggle for liberation, fighting fascism, racism, and I stop at the damn prison gate. Even the United Nations recognized certain individuals in prison as political prisoners who have transformed themselves and start fighting in the interest of the struggle. When you have an individual who take that position, he or she is not genuine in the process. Because then what you're implying then that the struggle stop at the prison gate. Even though I came to prison for a political act, I also acknowledge and recognize that many of the brothers and sisters became political in prison, and some of them have done more and sacrificed more than any of the brothers and sisters that came in from the streets. And they've not been recognized. And the downside of that is when you're not recognized, you don't have the support, you'll be persecuted 10 times more. Because they don't, in the government or the prison industrial slave complex, recognize, okay, this individual don't have that support, like the rest of them. They're going to really put pressure on his ass, hard, you know, because they have no support. So they can further persecute him for his political ideas and beliefs, and nothing's going to happen. Some of these brothers and sisters them dead with no support from the streets at all. We can't blame no one else but ourselves. We speak about the principles of elitism, the destructive principles of elitism, but yet we practice the same elitism within inside the revolution. You're not going to be a revolutionary and practice elitism within the struggle. I don't give a damn what you say. A lot of times people try to redefine what a revolution is to justify their failure, to justify those contradictions in them. You can't. If you take another individual over another individual because he had this logo, this label, but both of them are political prisoners. Both of them came to prison or transformed while they're in prison, but I'm going to take this individual here because he got this label. 
That's a form of elitism. You're not sincere then. Because I wouldn't give them what group you belong to. If you can't be prison for political activities or you're being prosecuted while in prison for political activities, you are a political prisoner. I'm going to support you. I don't give a man what group you belong to. If, if you fall under those definitions, those criteria, then we're going to recognize and acknowledge that you're a political prisoner of POW. We don't give a man what anybody else says. Because our position is going to be rooted in truth and fact. Not in these personal subjective perspectives. When you start making the choose, like, well, I choose him over her or her over him, that's subjectivism. That's not revolutionary. That's subjectivism. That's the emotional stuff. That's the hero-worshipping stuff. There's no, no room for a revolutionary. Known or unknown, if you being pressured by the system as a director of your political activities, I'm going to support you, period. I don't give a damn what label you got on you. No, you ain't no snitch and child molester or rapist. I'm going to support you, you know? And, and that have done more harm to the struggle. And, and a lot of these folks on the streets as part of the political prisoners movement don't even realize that. Because some of these brothers and sisters that are not being recognized and supported, they're going through it right now. We got comrades hey. in Alabama hey. going through it. And you know this too, Romani. True, indeed. True indeed, it's, you know, especially especially with the process in regards to like people want to consider uh, certain political prisoners are more popular than others. Uh, they take away recognition of certain things. Also, the different aspects in regards to like the different labels. Uh, you're a black political prisoner. You're a new album political prisoner. You're, you're a Native American political prisoner. No different labels and things as well. You know what I'm that make a difference also as well because. Certain people, ethnic background, people support them more than others, right? So it's a lot of different situations yeah. in regards to that. And, yeah. and again, that only hurts because it, it brings, it discredits the, the legitimacy of the movement. Because even the politicians are looking, even the enemy government is looking. They see the, the United Nations see the contradiction. Well, we only represent needs. These other citizens, brothers, are not political prisoners. So you can do what the hell you want to do with them. You know, we make out a list of 15 people or 20 people, everybody else, nah, they but, but yet, if you check their history, you check what they've been doing and how they're being prosecuted as a direct result of what they're doing, not criminal, but political, but revolutionary. You just fed them to the dogs. And a lot of these brothers and sisters out there came from prison at one time, and they know what they're doing. You constantly feeding these other brothers and sisters to the dogs. That's why I don't associate. I don't associate with them clowns because you constantly doing it. It's not an accident because you came from prison and you know when you did not have that same support. What did they do to you? When these other brothers and sisters they have not that support, what did they do to them? And you know this. You was here. Then you got to do the same goddamn thing. Get away with that fake ass. Because when I step down, I'm going to recognize all the brothers and sisters who have sacrificed their lives for the people, for the revolution. And I'm going to try my best to get them all the support that they deserve. I recall doing that same when we had the newsletter, I wrote a piece, right? None of the comrades that was on the mailing list, they all supported me. Even Mumia Abu-Jamal supported his idea. It was people on the streets, some subjective sentiments. They didn't want to admit what's wrong with Abdul. What I, what I suggest is this. 
you had a lot of cameras, you know, Mamie Abu Jamal in particular, right? They had millions and millions of support. But you had a whole lot of political prisoners that did not have no support. So what I was suggesting is this. You identify each one of these political prisoners. Have your supporters break off in teams in threes and assign three supporters to each of these political prisoners so they can have their own support committee. I already have my support committee, you know? And I only had like probably 30, 40 people, so I haven't, I expanded, you know, I extended them to other people. But you have those who had millions, if not hundreds of thousands, just take three and assign them each political prison. That way, no political prison will be left behind. And each of them have their own little committee. None of the comrades, Jaleel, nobody that received that newsletter complained. They agreed. It was those folks on the streets that emotional subjective. Man, I'm do trying to take away. I said, oh, man, this is silly. These are brothers and sisters who claim to be part of the struggle, but they lack the political maturity to understand certain aspects. You can't say that you feel for the political prison, but then you start choosing which one you feel for. Either you support political prison or you don't. Simple as that. All right, this is like the third time that I've listened to this particular piece uh, from Abdul, and it frustrates me even still, the elitism that is going on around our political prisoners. You either believe in political prisoners or you're not, you don't. You either are going to support them or you are not. And um, we have way too many brothers that are inside, including Abdul, who does have support. Um, you know, Hashima, Ifuma, Sitawa, um, Luckily, Fatih just came home, Balagoon, our beloved Za, Lewis Powell. There are just too many. I could just keep going on and on. But uh, with that said, thankfully, uh, Fatih has come home. Kenneth Fatih Carter um, has come home after 50 years in prison. He was one of the hunger strikers as well and suffered decades of solitary confinement. A political prisoner. Um, caged, brutalized, uh, subjected again to the torture of decades of solitary confinement simply because of his political beliefs. And, um, and so it's important that we shine the light on um, the, the, the political prisoners that we know and those that we, and it's mostly the ones that we don't know uh, because they are not famous, because they don't have millions of supporters. And I love that idea that Abdul put out and perhaps we could, can reignite that idea. Um, and so get in touch with me if you um, are interested in possibly becoming an outside uh, supporter for someone on the inside. You can always reach me at newbay at sfbayview.com. Um, with all of that said, uh, Fatih has come home, and I want to give you the information about a GoFundMe that is um, uh, active right now. You can find it under, at GoFundMe.com, Kenneth Fatih, F-A-T-I, Carter's Reentry Support Fund. Kenneth Fatih Carter is a 68-year-old man who was just released from prison after 50 years since he was a youth. He spent the majority of his time incarcerated in solitary confinement. He is the younger brother of well-known Black Panther, Bunchy Carter. All of Kenneth's immediate family have passed on, so without family or many resources, he will rely on community support. That is us. These funds will go directly towards his basic needs like housing, food, and clothing. He will be resettling in the Bay Area 
um, he has healing and getting back on his feet and searching for work and opportunities to get back to society. So please join the effort to help him get back on his feet and incorporate himself into society. Thank you so much for any generosity you can provide. It is deeply appreciated. This um, organize this fundraiser is organized by Eva Orbach. Uh, so please go there and donate what you can, uh, please, because um, every bit counts. And the more people that even give a little, uh, the, the, the faster um, that we can uh, get to making sure that this brother feels loved, feels welcomed, um, and is absolutely deserving of his freedom. And we want to make sure that um, his his um, his homecoming is um, is successful and uh yeah and really what it should be and speaks to the humanity in all of us all right if you are just joining us you are tuned into prison focus radio and i'm your host nube brown we uh you are tuned into kpoo san francisco 89.5 and you may be live streaming it from kpoo.com slash listen either way hope you're enjoying what you are hearing uh we have just been hearing, we heard from Andre Tinnen out of a prisoner out of Wisconsin uh, who had some very, very good news for us. And we heard from Abdul Olubala Shakur, courtesy of George Jackson University, which you can listen to um, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at blogtalkradio.com. That's George Jackson University. And we heard from Abdul Olubala Shakur speaking about uh, the elitism that takes place in how we're choosing our political prisoners and the support that we think that they deserve. So we are going to hear a song by Kwame Lil Beans Shakur or Kwame Beans Shakur, Mama Don't Worry. And then we're actually going to hear um, part one of an interview with Kwame Shakur. Here we go. Chin check music. Came home and listened three. 
first offense, you could have told us. But ain't no wine in your name. You kept it G. You never told her. Mama, I love you for that. I told my mom in her words, is everything gon' be alright? Hold your head, I'm stacking bread now. We gon' make it in due time. And now I apologize for all the pain in my own life. All the things I put you through, all the times I made you cry. I told my mom in her words, is everything gon' be alright? Hold your head, I'm stacking bread now. We gon' make it in due time. So that's how that's how they're doing it. They're making they're forcing you into into this uh, into this fight for your freedom. Okay, for, uh, do you can you say again how how long you've been in solitary confinement and why? Yeah, since April of 2016. So it's coming up April. It'll be seven years. And initially, it was just a, a phone. And possession of a knife and assault on staff, which that wasn't under 21 months. And then instead of me getting released to population, they placed me on administrative segregation, which is their way of saying once you're done with your time, we can still leave you on lockup as long as administration sees fit. And it's been a constant battle ever since. But for the past year, from August of 2021 until August of this year, I was in a program called the ACT program, which is designed to 
mind to get you back into population and reacclimated around other individuals where you got a cellmate and things like that. And um, I successfully completed that program and was approved by the warden at this facility and central office to be transferred in the day before the regional director stepped in and blocked it. Wow. And they did that at the like the at the uh, the eleventh hour, is that correct? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Okay. So is it normal to to get seven years or is it when you were first put on lockdown and solitary confinement, um is it normal for you to get that kind of time for what you were charged for? And were, and was that even um, was that even real? Or did they make that up too? Yeah, so initially, you know what I'm saying, like I said, I just had a possession of a cell phone and possession of a, a knife. Okay, hold on, you're breaking up. Hold on. Okay, you're going to have to start over because you totally broke up just after you said possession of a cell phone. All right. Yeah, when I initially came to lock up, I only had possession of a cell phone, possession of a deadly weapon, and I got assault on staff once I arrived on the lockup unit. But all that combined only carried a disciplinary segregation term of 21 months. And at that point, it had been released to population. Mm -hmm. But I was placed on administrative segregation, and I was only over there a week and a half. And Internal Affairs came and brought me 40-some write-ups at one time just to stack up as much phone restriction and JPEG restriction and lock-up time on me as possible. And um, around that time, they had wrote me up on directing and coercing and inciting a riot. Um, where a number of um, captives on lockup that came together and took over the rec pad to demand what it was that was inhumane you know, with our living conditions. And everybody else only got a Class B write-up for that, which just carried a couple months, but they somehow singled me out as the leader and gave me a Class A write-up, which gave me another year on lockup. Mm-hmm. And then two nights later after that, like, we thought that our demands had been met. Like, they were giving us what we were asking for and correcting little minor issues on lockup. And then two nights later, in the middle of the night, they came through with the E-Squad, which is like the prison SWAT team, and snatched all 13 of us up. And I ended up getting an assault on the staff during that altercation with, mm-hmm. with the, um, the SWAT team. And that gave me another year on lockup. I see. Yeah. So it's that it's that they ran into you, and so that means they ran into you, and so you get the assault on staff because their body hit your body. Whatever that. No, at that point, I really did assault them. That time, you remember the article that was in the debut from early 2018 about me being assaulted by the prison staff. Yes, exactly. But this is what I mean. (laughs) They set you all up to have to defend yourselves, and then they say that that's then, and so they can just set you up for assault on staff because you are not allowed as a slave to defend yourself. 
about me and on New Year's Eve. And then six months later, when they came to get us after the so-called riot took place, they had the same guards who had assaulted me be the ones to take me out of zip ties and tell me to strip out and get naked and bend over. And so I, I naturally got my get back. And, you know what I'm saying? I hear that, yeah. Got down on from six months prior. Wow, yeah, and still, but you were still only supposed to get 21 months, so, um, at the most, and here you are seven years later and you're being denied, um, and, uh, your, your freedom out of the it's important, yeah, now at this point it's important to note that I've been 22 months conduct with, it's the first time in the 11 and a half years that I've been locked up that I've ever been almost two years conduct clear so they had no justification to deny my transfer on top of being conduct clear I completed their program okay well of course we can surmise why you are being denied your uh, right to be out of the torture of solitary confinement um, but do you want to say why do you think that they are why are they denying you do you think just because of my political status as an organizer and an educator around the nation and inside these camps. The thing that we see is uh, motivating and inspiring and positive is the biggest internal threat to them. So right. Well, what are you telling people? I mean, frame of three years. What are you telling people? What, why, what is it that you're saying that's so dangerous? who we are, knowledge itself, science itself, understanding the politics of, of mass incarceration in America, understanding the genocide and the colonization of the new African and indigenous and Chicano nations. Like they need the captives to remain ignorant the same way they need the lower working class on the outside to remain ignorant and subordinate. Mm -hmm. in, a, uh, in a blind act of neo-slavery and not challenge why am I going to work every two weeks and getting paid pennies on the dollar while the people who own the business and the corporation of the factory are reaping the benefits and making millions of dollars off of the, the, the blood, sweat, and labor of um, working-class people. Same thing in here when you get people to wake up out of that state-induced coma of I did something wrong. The judge sentenced me to prison. Now I'm sitting here and wait on my three meals every day and go to wreck and wait for my outdate. When you get people to start challenging and resisting our chapters and start questioning and challenging capitalist colonial rule at all levels, that's what the problem And so even though, again, we know that I've done nothing wrong, we got to look at it from the eyes of the oppressor or a slave master, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They're looking at what I've done for solitary confinement around the country in the past seven years. What's going to happen when I get the population and I can have study groups and political education classes and it can be present in the face of these people. 
but that's why we gotta force the courts to get involved and take action and make them admit why I'm not stepping foot in population. And what we're saying and what we're hoping the courts are gonna say is well you gotta give me a chance to go out there and fuck up and do whatever it is that you think that I might do. Right. Why do you um so if so if somebody were listening to this and you wanted to say, okay, well, what do you have to, what would you say to someone who, um, you know, maybe is hearing this for the first time, like, uh, has that attitude of, you know, uh, do the crime, do the time, and this, and, and this, 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 this relationship between what the courts or what, what the sentence was handed down to you, and then how the guards actually meet out a different kind of punishment for your time inside. Do you, do you want to say anything about that? What that looks like and how that might play on yeah. you, your psyche, and the psyche of the, the family members as well? Anything around that? Yeah, so to the person who has that American colonial neo-fascist mentality that we've done something wrong and that we should get whatever comes with this modern-day slavery, even that individual is saying that from a place of ignorance and not knowing what goes on behind the iron curtain and the steel uh, cages of these prison cells and solitary confinement. So we've been given a sentence for whatever it is that they said that we did in society and we're being placed in here. That's already our so-called debt. We're not supposed to be given no medical care, no education, the lowest grade of food that you can give a human being. Right now, I've been in my cell since Thursday. It's 30 below zero here in Indiana. You have one minute remaining. And I have no heat in my cell. I've been in here for 24 hours with no running toilet or water as this is all going on with the temperature with somebody else's feces in my toilet. And the, and the staff are just ignoring us, you know what I'm saying? Because they're telling us our prison life does not matter. Right, exactly. And they seem to be committing crimes that they are not being um, imprisoned for themselves. The things that they're doing us that I just named, with the cold temperatures and the no running water and no uh, running plumbing system, somebody would go to jail if they were keeping their children or their elderly family members or somebody in a nursing home in those same conditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank there's you no for... accountability. There's no transparency. Yes. Welcome to American prisons. Thank you for using GTL. And Kwame is one of those children. He is 30 years old. He has been in prison over 10 years. Um, that, and again, that this uh, country has uh, snatched from our community with a sentence of, of 110 years. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. I want to thank you for joining me. Don't forget to go to supportprisonlives.org if you want to know more about Kwame Beans Shakur. 
And also, do not forget to make your donation to the GoFundMe for Kenneth Fatih Carter. Just go right there and search it. Um, all these political prisoners, especially, well, they need they need support inside and out. So please be a part of uplifting humanity and uh, calling yourself where you stand in terms of political prisoners um, and political and prisoners in general. But we are going to go out with a piece.